Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Something powerful about remembering all that's been done for us. And I, I trust that as we are in week five of this series on supernatural breakthrough and, and, and a couple of weeks into our time of prayer and fasting, I trust that the Lord's really been meeting you. That no matter where you're at, no matter what's been happening in your life, that as you've found time to just stop and be with him, whether it's that stolen moment before everyone in the house wakes up or on that commute to or from work or maybe it's a midday where you just get to stop and as you have lunch or not, you just pray and ask the Lord to stir in your life as he stirs in the life of our community. I trust that it's been a really uh, intimate time with the Lord as he draws you to himself. Um, it's getting to be pretty exciting. I, I don't know about for you, but just seeing what the Lord's doing, uh, it's all of the stuff that we read in the scriptures. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. The spontaneous confession of sin and repentance just happening as God shows up. I mean, it's all of the stuff that you read about in Acts. I'm getting, I'm excited about it. I kind of feel like it's the stuff that we've been praying for. I don't know about you, but if you've been praying for God to stir something in our community, that this place would be marked by his good news, by his kingdom, and that people would encounter him, have you been praying into that? Anyone been praying into that? Anyone? You can throw your hands up in the air. Let's, come on, that's good. Okay, some of us, that's great. By the end of this, I think we're all going to. I'll lead you in a prayer, so then next week if someone asks, you can all put your hand up. So I did that last Sunday. See? It's because I'm a caring person. As we've been stopping and praying, it's just really amazing to see what happens when people come together and we gather to pray. Today I want to talk about what it looks like when we stop and we gather to pray and we stand in the gap for other people. Today I want to take us through uh, an invitation to intercession, which is like, oh goodness me, I wish I had known that was what we're talking about, I wouldn't have come today. Because fasting and prayer and the act of intercession is powerful. It, it changes the atmosphere. As Pastor John was talking about last night, when we actually start to pray in accordance with what God has shown us, it shifts things. I have, however, a personally a mixed history in how I feel about fasting particularly, and intercession, but fasting particularly. I'm constantly reminded of the words of Mark chapter 2, that when Jesus is with us, Jesus said, when the bridegroom's with you, why would you fast? You should celebrate. I'm like, well, he says in Scripture that he's with me always, so it's time to party, right? But it's in these times of denying yourself that God actually speaks so powerfully and so deeply. I, I was just reflecting on, uh, during this week, the, the first time I ever really seriously tried to fast. I, uh, it was about 14 years ago, and I was at the time working uh, at ABC Radio, and I had kind of had enough of that. And I was like, okay, God, I need to change. I need something else. I need you to open up something else because I don't want to be here anymore. And so I felt like the Lord said, fast and pray for a week, seven days. I'm like, oh, I've never done that before. So I told Penny, and she said, that's a great word for you. Um, <laughs> no, no. 
I don't remember if she said that, but she should have. Uh, and so I said, okay, great, I'm going to start. And so after church on the Sunday night, I didn't have dinner. That was at the start of the, pre- the, the, the season. So I thought I'd start that night and uh, skipped dinner, prayed. The next morning, uh, Monday was my day off back then. And uh, we're at the shops, probably 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I get a phone call from the then senior pastor, Rick Benson. He said, we'd like to offer you a job. And I'm like, why did I say a week of fasting? <laughs> but prayer and fasting avails much. God hears our hearts when we put aside things for him. When we take up our cross and we deny ourselves, something shifts in our lives and in, and in how God talks to us. And I can imagine as I look around a room this size, not even counting the people who are watching online right now. There's a lot of answered prayer in the room. If you just stop and think about your life, your journey with Jesus, I'm sure there's countless prayers. You, You probably haven't actually been tracking them. There's been so many. From the small to the massive, from the miraculous to what is seemingly mundane, God shows up. But my question for us today is what does it look like for us when we focus our prayer life outwards? When we move it from looking at us to looking at others? I want us to take a look at what that looked like in the early church. So would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12? So last week, as I said before, Pastor John talked about how prayer is a powerful weapon that we have to fight for the reign of God in our region. And we see this on the pages of Scripture. It's really amazing. Um, We're going to look in Acts chapter 12. And so to set the scene, the the fledgling church is growing. Things are happening. If you've been following along with the the daily devotions, this morning's was about Acts chapter 2, which just starts to describe what it looks like for a community of people to be in revival, that we are supernaturally generous and sacrificial and we spend time together and we get along and we love each other and we listen to the teaching. We do this thing, we engage in community. So that's all happening and it's growing. It's hard to ignore 3,000 people getting saved at one meeting in the center of Jerusalem during their holidays. That's going to start to flag on some people's radars. And as it's growing and as it's kind of snowballing and as it's building, we get to Acts chapter 12 and there's this king, King Herod Agrippa, who he's a kind of a puppet king for the Romans and it's not in his best interest for this to happen. He's hearing of power and authority that's not his or Rome's. And if Rome hears about that, it's going to put him in jeopardy and he won't get to live Uh, in the life that a king would normally live, what he has become accustomed to. So he's not impressed about this new thing, the followers of the way who are creating this mess. He doesn't want to entertain the thought of another king. So as we get to Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says, About this time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. 
So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Interesting time. One of their key leaders is dead. Tradition says he was beheaded, in fact. That's bad, but to make matters worse, Peter, the Peter, the on the rock I will build my church Peter, is now in prison. And if it goes the same way as it went for the last guy, that's not a good sign. They're thankful that there's a public holiday and so the courts don't work on a public holiday. Like, okay, we've got time, we can pray. The church turns to earnest prayer. So I want you to think, what has happened in your life when you've turned to earnest prayer on behalf of someone else? Have you ever engaged in a time of earnest prayer on behalf of someone else? Or even this, what would need to happen for you to turn to earnest prayer? What would need to be shaken? What would need to be rocked? What circumstances would need to come upon your life that you would need to turn to earnest prayer? As it progresses in this passage, it's very interesting. Pick up in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him, Peter, out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries were before the door. They were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Oh, that happened. Behold, an angel's like, ah, an angel of the Lord is suddenly standing in this prison. So I just love the understatement that Luke writes with. Sorry. Um, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Firstly, I love how Scripture speaks from the white space. Don't picture, but a mat. Uh, Think about this. Peter is chained to two guards, four squads of guards around him. The angel says, get up, get dressed, put on your shoes. And then after that says, put a cloak on. So what did he put on before he put the cloak on? Peter's probably lying in prison, naked and chained. Now, I don't know if that speaks to Peter's confidence in the Lord or his utter humiliation in prison. But I think it's fairly safe to say at this point, Peter has nothing. He has nothing there. He has no options. He has no resources. He has no choices. He is naked and chained in prison. What options does Peter have? His only hope is prayer. And interestingly enough, he was asleep. He wasn't even praying. But God shows up in power in his room. As I really thought about this, I really felt like God said, I'm trying to get your attention on this. I felt like he said, pay attention. Because our passion here, our, our, our kind of overruling, overriding desire is that we do everything 
completely enveloped in God's empowering presence. That there's no point doing anything in called the Christian life without God and his empowering presence right in the middle of it all. And I think at its basis level, the only way that can happen is where we stay totally connected in prayer. Our conversation with God, our communication with God has to be what drives it because we can have all the spiritual gifts in the world but if we don't know the giver then what's the point? We can have all the wisdom in the world but if it doesn't lead people to the good news of who Jesus is then what's the point? If it was good enough for Jesus to only do what the Father said then how do we start to find a way to get back to the heart of the Father so we hear him in our daily lives? Because I think I think that the lie that the enemy has led us to believe is that we can't actually do anything, anything of any worth without prayer. I think we believe the lie that we can do anything without prayer. I think I have believed the lie. Peter had no other options in the room. Jesus prioritized it above all else. And yet, I find myself, and maybe this is you too, with my life all together, with bank accounts and resources and relationships and careers and friends. I like to include him to bless my digestive system. I love to include him when I can't find a car park. I love to include him when there's no other options. But what would it look like if he was our first option? What would it look like if we ignore the lies of the enemy that we could try it in our own strength first and we came to him? That's what he's been convicting me about. How much do I just do it in my own strength on any given day and go, oh, that's not working. Okay, God, can you help me? Why? It's like, well, you could have asked me first. (laughs) How much more would be possible if we started on our knees than use it as our backup option? It ends pretty well for Peter. Verse 9. And he went out, Peter went out and followed the angel. He did not know what was being done. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and he went out, And they went out and they went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Wow. In fact, it's hilarious. The the very next part is where Peter rocks up at the house where they were praying and he knocks at the door and the servant girl says, Peter's here. And they go, no, he couldn't possibly be here. We're praying for him because he's in prison, remember? That's another whole message. (laughs) We'll talk about that one day, how we see our answered prayers. I've already talked about it before. But I think it takes a community of Jesus' disciples who are quicker to their knees than to anything else to see things like this happen. I think it takes a bunch of people who default to prayer before anything else. Because there's power in intercession. 
And when I say intercession, I mean prayer that stands in the gap on behalf of someone else. Prayer like that early church, earnestly seeking God on behalf of Peter, who had no other options. For me, the illustration, if you know the story, interceding prayer is like Simon of Cyrene on the road to Calvary. He's a tourist, he's standing by watching the events of the crucifixion, he's probably a a religious tourist, he's come to town for the Passover, and yet in the midst of Jesus' trial and suffering, he's brought in to carry the cross for Jesus when he stumbled and couldn't go on. That's the picture I have of intercession, is that when someone can't, won't, doesn't know to be able to travail in prayer, intercession is our invitation to carry that for them. We get to be that person who's ready and waiting and refreshed and able to step into the gap and carry a load on behalf of someone who can't or won't or doesn't know how to. But this is powerful too, because our intercession, if it's fueled and led by the Lord, it avails much. In Zechariah 10, chapter 1, it reminds us about how best to pray. I'm going to read it off my paper because my prescription, I can't read the notes in my Bible. It says, ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain for from the Lord who makes storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. Zechariah reminds us that we pray for what the Lord's already doing because it's in his nature and then we thank him when he does it. So what if intercession was hearing from the Lord on behalf of someone else and praying that he would do the thing that he's revealed to us to do and celebrating it when he does it. How would that change how we pray? Hearing from God that we've already been talking about in this series is essential to our prayer life. But the testimony of what God is doing is like the, the, other, the other bumper on the bowling lane. It's the other fence on the side of the road. These are the lanes that keep us going. These are the things that direct us. Our prophetic heart as a community and the testimony of God's work and what he's doing become the, our guiding light as we intercede for others. We know his nature. We know his voice and we know what he's done. And so we continue to say, God, we're going to stand in the gap. What could happen What would happen? David Peck, who's here this morning. Hi, Dave. You're amazing. There you are. He leads our team of intercessors. Amazing man of God who has just contended for this space for us for decades. Taking up a family generational legacy to do that. But I just want to share a little bit of what he's spoken to me about, about what intercession can look like. And not in a deep way, but kind of in an illustration. And he's, he's told me that, the God, that God has spoken to him about it looking kind of like, a, like a, a bee's honeycomb. He said, as we start to intercede and pray, it's like we're becoming one of those little kind of cells, one of those little kind of hexagonal spaces in the honeycomb. But as we all start to pray, it's like those, those little cells are joined together. They start to gather together and it becomes a powerful thing because the power of those things together is greater than each one alone. When we are connected and we're praying together for God's kingdom to break in, a strength is created in us 
so that we can withstand the attempts of the enemy to derail us. That as we join together in intercession, we become stronger and together we can, we're able to carry a greater weight than we can alone. I know this because we're, we're moving house soon and so I've been cleaning up and getting rid of old furniture. I don't know if you've ever um, undone a flat pack from Ikea. <laughs> I couldn't find the Allen key so my hammer was a great... It was old and broken anyway. So as you break apart, I don't know if you ever noticed that the inside of the timber furniture is not timber, but it's honeycomb cardboard. The beauty of this picture that the Lord has shown David, and, and as I think we raise up a, a heart of intercession in our church, is that a flimsy material like paper or cardboard in the right structure becomes able to carry so much more weight and it doesn't crush and crumble under a load, but it in fact it becomes greater than what it should be. And the beauty of not just one of us, or not just the called ones, but a whole church interceding on behalf of those that we know need to encounter God, strengthens us. If we're alone and isolated, we can be crushed, but when we come together, there's strength in our prayers. We can read that passage in Acts and go, wow, isn't that amazing what God did back then? Or we can go, wow, what would it look like if we all got together? Not necessarily in the same room, but we all started to contend. Because we go, it's great in the Bible when chains fall off and angels show up and gates open. But what if he did it again? What if it was just a bended knee away from God doing it again, physically and spiritually, metaphorically and literally? What if it was just a moment away What's the circumstance that would take you to pray earnestly? What if Peter was your son or your brother or your father or your friend? What if the person who was in chains, who was locked in addiction and brokenness and fear and anxiety, what if it was your friend or your neighbour or your family? Is that enough to bring us together to pray? Honestly, no, actually. For me, it's not. It's not enough. Because I have those things and I don't do that. And I reckon there's a lot of people in the room who probably do, but there's probably as many of us who don't. Because we can hear it and we can know it and we can feel guilty about it when someone talks about it, but we can quietly just keep coming in and going out. I was actually just reflecting on it. I remember there was a season in my life where I had very little income and I was just really disobedient in giving. And so I just was literally reflecting this morning. I I would just sit there quietly feeling guilty every week and just let it go by. It's horrible to feel that way, but we can do it. And until the Spirit of God convicts our heart, we'll probably just keep doing it because that's the reality. But... I feel like God wants to show up and do something in our lives today that might just, just change that. Because I think there's a missing ingredient that you can, you can read scripture and you can know it inside out. You can have your home group leader or the pastor or a podcast tell you about it. But for me, there was a missing ingredient. Because I grew up in church and I knew all this stuff. 
And God started to show up and I've told some of this story before. God was doing all this stuff, but I still wasn't driven. I remember about 2009, we went to a conference. Just four of us who were on staff at the time and God showed up in power. But when he showed up in my life, this is what happened. The guy who was praying and, well, before it, I was in the, the service and it was going really well. And I just started to, I was aware of God's presence. We've been learning to do this. So I was practicing. God, I feel like you're here in the room. This is great. Then I started to feel real whew, weepy. Started to feel real emotional. We'd not long had a, one of our kids who had some health issues. I'm thinking, man, am I feeling bad about him? No, he's fine. starting to feel this thing and I don't know what's going on and this is at this point where the, the preacher invites those who are feeling God touching their lives to go up and I'm not going up and that's when the little old lady behind me slaps me on the back and says, get up there you big beautiful man. <laughs> but in that moment, the, 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 the thing that, that struck me and God reminded me of this week and I think I've lost the connection to was that when I was prayed for and when God just laid me on the floor and started to do something in me, the guy just put his hand on my chest and said, compassion, three times. And I was already crying. <laughs> I was already doing the ugly cry. But he blessed it and, it and he put a word around what the Lord was birthing in me. And God unlocked something at that moment, not just in me, but in a lot of people in that space. And, and it's not about me and my experience, but I want to invite you into the same thing because a few years later we had a, a visiting speaker and we were at a young adult retreat and we just started praying with the leaders and the team in one of the side rooms preparing for the night service and God said, do you remember when I touched your heart with compassion and I lost it? <laughs> like within moments, it's the ugly cry again. I'm going, God, what's going on? And then that changed how I prayed and how I, how I loved on people. And God connected the dots for me. He said that you can know it all, but unless you have my heart of compassion, it's not going to change how you do things. I look back and I'm reminded that not long after that, Pastor John would just consistently keep saying, I'm praying for mercy, compassion, and the fire of God. And I'm like, oh, because if we don't have those three things, if we're missing any one of those three things, we can't do this effectively. We can keep trying in our own strength and we can keep banging on a door, but without all three, I don't think we've got the key. And we're a kind bunch of people. And I know for most of us, we're really passionate about the presence of God, but maybe, maybe something that's going to unlock us into a new space of breakthrough is the compassionate heart of the Father for us. It starts in those moments of like communion, where we humble ourselves. Go, God, I can't do this on my own. And it takes a humble heart to be able to actually say to the Lord, God, my heart is a bit hard to the people that you've put in my life. We did this beautiful Camino walk yesterday morning. It was just lovely. And the very first station, I got to sit and pray with my family. And we pray for those that we find it difficult to love. I thought, man, do I have to even say this? This is a bit awkward. <laughs> We're good Christians, right? We shouldn't find it hard to love people. 
But we do, right? Maybe it's just me. I don't want to project onto you. But what would it look like if instead of going, it's a bit too hard, I'm going to step out of this space, so God, would you just would you touch my heart with how you feel about them? Because I've seen and I've heard and I've felt those moments where you feel heaven breaking in because someone experiences the heart of the Father and they start to pray like they really mean it. I can imagine what it felt like in that room as Peter's in prison. God, you gave us him as a gift. We can't do this without him. And God's saying, you actually can't do it without me, but I'm going to answer your prayers because you're earnestly seeking me. Do we, do we let our prayers be fueled by the compassionate heart of the Father? Do we let him touch us and mark us and transform us? I think it's entirely Supernatural with a bunch of people like us, frail, finite humans, could pray earnestly. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you should pray without ceasing. I don't know how to do that without God. And I don't know how to do it in a way that actually moves his heart unless I'm feeling his heart. If we're supposed to pray for rain in the day of rain because he's the God of rain, and he loves to send it. Maybe we should be tapping into his heart. Maybe the blockages we find in our own lives, in our families, and those that are lost and walking away, maybe there's something he wants to do in our lives to touch our hearts, to stir something in us. Because I'll be honest with you, if we just try and do it in our own strength, we'll just be burnt up. But if we do it in his from his compassionate heart will burn bright. Because this is just who he is and what he's like. This is the God who reminds us if he is for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also graciously receive all things from him? If the fuel in your tank for prayer is empty, if you find it real hard, maybe today is the day he just wants to touch you with his heart of compassion. Maybe today is the day that he's saying, I I need you to know how much I care for you, for your loved ones, for the people on your street, for the people that you talk to, that you work with, that you study with. Maybe he's inviting us to encounter his love afresh today. And I can tell you, his prophetic word is that he's the God who answers his prayers. And I can tell you my testimony is that when I had nothing left, he touched my heart. If that's you today, I feel like he wants to do the same thing. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we respond today, it's, it's actually just a really simple response. It's a simple prayer. We're going to sing it. We're going to say it. We're going to reflect on it. But it's his supernatural work touching our lives. Would you 
Maybe just close your eyes or bow your head, would you? Wherever you are, however you're experiencing God right now, whatever's going on, would you just block out what's going on around you? And the simplest way I can say it is how I've heard someone write it in a song. The prayer is, God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Because I think if we, if we pray that prayer and we really mean it, he's going to just let us experience just a moment, just a touch of his heart for those around us. Would you just start to pray that where you are? Would you just start to say, God, would you just break my heart for what's on your heart? If you don't know how to do that, ask him for the people, the faces, the names that are on his heart. God, God, who are the people that your heart's breaking for today? If you can't do that, maybe it's circumstances and situations. But just start to ask him, God, would you just, would you touch my heart with your heart of compassion today? God, I'll run out of my own steam and my own strength if this is not, not fueled by your heart. So God, I ask for everyone right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and let us just know the heart of the Father today? God, would you come and would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? God, would you break down our pride, our self-sufficiency? God, would you break down our religious facades and say, I have to show up and pray because I'm expected to be a good Christian, but it's just coming out of a place of dryness. God, would you break it down with just a counter with your love today? Your Father's heart that cares for the broken and the lost. God, you care for us when we're broken and lost, when we're pretending to, to play grown-ups, but God, we're just... Our hearts are not where yours is. Would you come touch us afresh today? God, would you let compassion just flood through this room? Everyone listening, everyone viewing, everyone in this moment, God, would you let your compassion come and touch us? God, we can't do this without you. Can't do this without you. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.